Welcome to Lakeside Church's message podcast. Our prayer is that you fall in love with Jesus, find your church family, live in freedom, and be active in your purpose. Let's join the message already in progress. But you should have got this when you came in if you didn't raise your hand. And it is a um, little insert. It'll help you follow along today. It's a little piece of paper and it has some scriptures on it. And we are starting a series that, that we've called Life Hacks, and it's a truth for life. The, the idea for this came, um, my kids and I, we, we watch YouTube together because it's really hard to find things on TV the whole family can watch. So me and my five kids will watch TV, and a lot of times it'll be YouTube because we just have the internet in our house. And there's all these people doing life hacks where they take a hot glue gun and they take like a hanger and they make like this beautiful, wonderful piece of work of art or something useful around the house. And I thought, you know, doesn't the Bible really have life hacks? Isn't there really some truth in there? And so when you think of the word hack, it's not in your your outline, but one of the definitions means to be successful. Hack means to be successful. Um, Like when you say somebody couldn't hack a new job. And you know what? It's my prayer that you guys would be successful. I think that's God's prayer for you guys is that that you'd be successful. You'd know how to live life in such a way that you would be successful. Last week we talked about humility, which I think humility is a really important life hack. And today we're going to talk about something that is probably the I'm more excited to share this sermon than just about anything um, that I've talked about in this house. So, Father God, I thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to share your word. I pray your spirit would work through me, God. I pray your word would speak clearly. And I pray, Father God, that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. So the first blank on there, um, Christianity is not. And I want to say Christianity is not knowing something. Now, what do you mean, Chris? Why do we come to church and why do we do all this teaching? Well, because it is about knowing something, but it's not about knowing something. It is not, it is not purely studying for studying's sake. It is not that you have to memorize every verse in the Bible. It's not like you have to be that baby right there. You're just scanning the book and you're trying to figure out what it means. And Christianity really should not be like a school. And as a school teacher, I relate to that. I've had kids fall asleep in my class multiple times. But let's look at what the scripture, the scripture says. In the book of 1 Corinthians, we have a scripture on here. And it says, where is the one who is wise? And it's not all in your paper. Some of it will be on the screen. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God, it pleased God through the folly of what was preached to save those who believe. And it goes on in verse 22, it says, for the, the Jews demand signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. Now, when I say it's not about knowing something, if life was all about knowledge, we'd have it figured out because you have in your hand most likely almost everything anybody has ever known. You can pull it out and you can get a list of knowledge. You can get things that people know. You can research stuff about almost any topic and it's all for free. Where has that gotten us? 
Is life really better? If it's just purely about knowledge, if this whole thing in Christianity was just to learn more, we should be there already. Yes, there are things we need to learn, but it's not just knowledge. In fact, when Paul went around in the Greek world, that's where the scripture, um, the, the church began to take root. After the church left Jerusalem, it went throughout the Greek world. They valued knowledge. That was their thing. They would, like in, the, in Athens, um, was one of the places that Paul went. They would sit around and they would just listen to lectures. Just listen to new ideas. But that wasn't enough. And it's not enough today. Right now, there's more podcasts online where you can listen to thousands or maybe even millions now, hours of people talking about everything from comic books to politics to movies to, to, to anything you want to learn about. You can listen to it, and that's not enough. Wisdom doesn't get you there. And in fact, I think that's fair because that means that God is no respecter of how smart you are. There are some of you in this room that you are brilliant. And then there's others, eh. All right, and if, if that, that's okay. Being smart doesn't mean you have to be successful. There's some people that are not very bright that are really successful. And there are some people that are geniuses that are not succeeding in anything. The smartest guy I ever went to school with, you know, not successful. It's really hard to be successful when you're hooked on drugs. It's really hard to be successful when you, when you have an addiction. It's not about your intelligence. That should make you happy. Now, it's not that you don't want to learn things, but it's not just a series of lectures. That's one of the things I think that, that we've kind of flipped around in churches is, is we, we put you guys in this, in this setting where you're listening to somebody talk for hours. But that's not what it's about. It's not just about learning more and more. The next thing that it's not, and I want to get through these quickly, and then I want to spend more time on what it is, Christianity is not doing something. Sometimes we've tricked you into thinking that it's just about doing more. In fact, I've got my big pants on. Anybody else got your big pants on after Thanksgiving? All right, I went into Thanksgiving and I said, I need to buy another pair of pants. So the day before Thanksgiving, I went and I bought a size up. I put on some weight after my back surgeries, and I said, you know what, let's give myself some space. But then the day after Thanksgiving, me and my dad started a contest between now and Christmas, who can lose the most weight? We weighed in yesterday. We went into the restroom. We both weighed in. Of course, he loaded up with shampoo bottles and body wash. He felt guilty about it. He said, God, I cheated. Yeah, I really don't weigh that much. I weigh four pounds less. But we're having a contest. And you know what? That's not what Christianity is. We almost think like it's just we're trying to get you guys to do all of these things. And some of you love it. And some of you don't. You're like, one more thing I got to do? One more thing? My life is already maxed out. I don't have enough time. I barely have enough energy to survive. One more thing I got to do? And that's not new to the Scripture. In fact, throughout history, people have confused Christianity with doing things. If we go to the book of Matthew, and you read chapter 7, verse 22, this is Jesus speaking. This should scare the heck 
or maybe even the hell in the literal sense out of some of us. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy on your name? Prophesy, speak God's word. You would think out of all the things you could do, speaking God's word would be high up on the list. You have people that were calling out saying, Lord, didn't we speak in your name? The next thing says, and cast out demons. You got to be pretty close with God to cast out demons. When was the last time you cast out a demon? It's probably been a while for some of you, if ever. But here you had people that spoke God's word, that cast out demons, and it said, and do many, did many mighty works in your name. It sounds like they did pretty well. If I was going to write a list of things that would happen, and I said, man, Robert, you're speaking God's word. Man, you're even casting demons out and many mighty works. I would think you had it together. But here they stand before God. And look what he says. I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's scary. It's not about doing things. In the early church, one of the biggest problems they had, and, and you've got to think about this because I do think you should study. I'm not against knowledge. I just don't think knowledge is it. I think Jesus is the goal. In the early church, one of the biggest battles they had was they had a group of people that wanted to adopt all the Jewish practices. And you can read about that in, in um, Colossians chapter 2, and it will be on the screen. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20, it says, If with Christ, well, go back a slide, my dear, my wonderful daughter Rachel in the back. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to all those things that perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. The next verse, verse 23, says, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let me translate that for you guys that zoned out. That was a lot of words, and that's okay. If you zoned out and you don't know what that meant, it meant that they had a group of people that were saying, you can eat this, but not that. Don't we have books like that today? I'm not saying those are wrong, but eat this and not that. Do this, but don't do that. If you do this, you're holy. If you do that, you're a sinner. They had an appearance of wisdom, but it was self-made religion. See, there's some of us in this room that we're seeking after knowledge more than Christ. And there's other of us that we get caught up in doing things. And it is not about doing things. It is, it is not a checklist of things you have to do to get right with God. Some of us coming to church after Thanksgiving, big check mark, I'm holy, I made it. Some of us reading our Bible, check mark, I'm holy, I made it. Saying our prayers before meals, yes, I bless the food. Take no account, that's the only prayer I'm going to pray today. But I did pray for my food, check I'm holy. And it's not things you do. 
It's hard to get that in our minds, that that is not what Christ is looking for, is for us to do things, promoting self-made religion. There is a wave, and I'm telling you because I've seen it, there's a wave of people that are so sick of empty, empty religion that they're filling it with self-made religion. They haven't seen the real thing. They haven't seen what Jesus can do, and so they're filling it with rules and regulations, ripping them right out of the Bible, out of context, making it sound as if you have to do this and do this and do this to be right. And the only way you will be right with God is through Jesus Christ. He's already made it right. He's already made the sacrifice. And that's what we're going to talk about the rest of the day. So it's not about knowing something. And it's not about doing something. So what is it? Christianity is about being something. Now let me explain that to you. It is about being something. I can study marriage. I can go and I can read all the laws about marriage and the legality of marriage and the history of marriage and the root word of marriage and past cultures' ideas of marriage and ways people have gotten married and the way the, the, um, the ceremony should look and where the flowers should go and, and who stands on what side, I have no clue, and, and how you walk down the aisle and, and what it means when one, the married person dies. I can study marriage and still not be married. I can act married and still not be married. We could live together. This is my wife. We've been married for 18 years. I could live with her. I could treat her like my wife. I could do the dishes. Only husbands would do that thing. That's a holy act of God right there. All right? I I, I could watch the baby while she goes and takes a shower. I could let her go to sleep early and put the other kids down and still not be married. Getting married is something that happens that changes you. You get married and you move from one state single to another state married. It's not about how much you know, because to tell you the truth, I didn't know everything about getting married. I didn't know all the legal rules. I mean, I know you got married. You live together. You're married now. You change your last name. You got a ring. But I didn't know all the legal definitions about everything in every state. And the reality is, is now that we're married, whether I act married or not, I'm still married. I could sleep in another house tonight. I'm still married. Now, if I want to stay married, I shouldn't do that. But what I do does not change the fact that I am married. What changes the fact that I'm married is that there was this one moment that we went up and we said I do and we exchanged vows and a change happened. I went from one state to another state and things are completely different. Now, I can learn about marriage if I want it to be successful. Knowledge is good. I read a marriage book every year so that we can, you know, stay married. Because getting married was really easy. Staying married, not so much. And if you've been married for more than a minute, you know that's true. And I can do things as a spouse, which I do. But neither of those things matter as much as the actual change. And that's about the only way I can describe it. So I want to look um, at a book uh, in the book of 2 Corinthians. And it says, therefore, and I want you to see this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
some of my favorite verses, and we're going to sit here for a minute. It says, therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ. Let's take a step back, my dear. I want to go to verse, um, verse 17. Did I put that in there? If it's not in there, it's in here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. I underlined anyone because that means you. You don't have to be smart enough. And it doesn't matter if you're super smart. It doesn't matter. We're all accepted in Christ. You could be a dunce. Completely, like you read those scriptures and it was like, huh, I have no idea what this guy's talking about. And that's okay. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That word new creation means that God changes you at the base level. That God comes into you and he makes you completely different. You went from one state without Christ to another state with Christ and everything is different. I I can't say this enough that the creator God puts his creative power in your life and you are transformed. If you haven't had that happen, let's do that today. If you're not living in that, If you're not living with that creative power of God in your life, let's fix that. It says anyone is a new creation. The old has passed away. I looked that up, and it meant it's gone. That your old life is gone. Back to marriage. The second we got married, the single life was gone. It wasn't like we were half and half. I was like half married, but, you know, really single. Or I lived single, but, you know, had the ring on. No, it was a transformation from one state to the other. The old life was gone. Has that happened to you? Or or is the old life creeping up within you? Do you have the creative, and this is a question that only you can answer. Do you have the creative power of God burning on the inside? Have you been changed? All this is from God who through Christ has reconciled us to himself. Reconciling, bringing back together, but that word also means exchange. That not only has God brought you back together. Have you ever had a really big argument with somebody? Get married, you will. Have you ever had a really big argument to where it's just tense? where you just walk in the room and you don't even have to say anything, you can cut the air with the knife. That's a horrible feeling. But you know what's great? When that goes away. You know when the argument's really over? Not when she says it's over. But like when it's really over. You guys know the difference? Like, oh yeah, everything's fine. Oh, we're good. We're good. I'm not mad. I'm okay. It's you who has the problem. But you know, there's that. But, but there's that one change when you know that it's gone, that the air has trained, that the air is different and there's peace in the home and it doesn't feel forced. That's what can happen with you and God. God can take away every bit of issue between you and him. And in fact, that's what he desires. You know, some of you, you're hiding one thing from God. 
Some of you right now, you just thought about it. It's like my life would be great with God except for eh. There's one thing there, and it's holding you back, and you can feel it in the air. And it's stopping that creative power from God coming into your life. But it does not have to be there because he can exchange, he can reconcile. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Stick with me. That is that God, that Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. I want to get through this, and then we're going to go back and look at this more. We implore you, or we beg you, on behalf of Christ, to be reconciled to God for our sake. Now, this is what you got to understand. This is the key to understanding all those verses. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's why you have to understand that that word reconcile is bigger than being brought back together. It also means to exchange something. He took your sin and he gave you his righteousness. He took your crap. There's probably a better word, but that's what it is. Amen? He took your garbage, and he gave you his goodness. And that's why those other verses say that God appeals through us. Because if he took your junk, he took all of your sin, all of the stuff that you hold back, all of your bitterness, all of those secret sins that nobody knows about, he took all of them. And he gave you his righteousness. He gave you his spirit. Well, now his spirit is in you. And what does his spirit want? His spirit wants others to be reconciled. That's why we are ambassadors. Because he, this is why I do this. Somebody asked me today, they said, so you get paid for this? I said, no. They're like, no. I wouldn't want to do that. And I was like, well, there's something on the inside. I want everyone here to be reconciled to God. I know that moment. Maybe you do too, where your life was one way, you came to God, and it changed. Everything was different. You were going in one direction, and all of a sudden you're going in the other direction. Like You'll never forget that moment. When I was on I-20, I'm sitting there for two and a half hours going this way. And by going this way, I mean stopped and standing outside of the car. And we're standing there. And I'm like, two and a half hours, this is ridiculous. And I saw two rednecks make a decision. And I said, hmm, praise God for rednecks. I love rednecks. Two rednecks got in their truck, and they turned around, and they went the other way. And I said, let's do this. And I got in my Subaru, and I was going the wrong way on I-20, but I loved every minute of it. I'm never going to forget that moment. Everybody else is just sitting there saying, what are they doing? And I'm like, I'm leaving. Mm. And we went the back way and we got off the exit. And you think about that. You had probably like 600 cars sitting there, people standing outside, every race, every color, every socioeconomic thing, just standing there. And a few people made the decision, let's go somewhere else. Everything changed. The car was pointing this way, and now it's pointing this way. And I was moving, just waving at them. As they stood there, 
and we left. But I had to follow somebody else, a redneck that was just crazy enough to make a decision. And I said, by God, if he could do it, then I could do it too. Right now we're following somebody else. Jesus was not a redneck. He was a carpenter in Israel. But he is worth following. And he exchanged. He came to turn our lives around. And some of you guys, you've stuck just like I was in traffic. In your life, if you were to say, like, be honest, you're stuck. You're not going anywhere. And you get in, you know, this is what I did. Turn the radio on for a little bit, listen to an audio book, watch a YouTube video, play a little game on my phone, text my wife. And I'm like, man, it's only been 10 minutes. <laughs> for two and a half hours. You're stuck. And you need to follow the one that has already made the U-turn, and that is Christ. And so I, I put a few examples to explain kind of what this is. Number one, it is being born again. Jesus said, no man can come unto the Father unless see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. The one thing I can describe it as is it is being born again. I could talk to all the chemicals that make up your body. I could put some, some carbon, and I could put some nitrogen, and I could put some oxygen inside of a little bag, and I could give it all the knowledge in the world, and it still would not come alive. I could take those same chemicals and form them into a little robot and put little you know, motions there, and the robot could move, it could do things but it would still not be alive. Some creative force has to come into those chemicals to make them alive. Something in your life will not live until God puts his spirit within you and makes you live. Look at that little baby worshiping God. I know you're watching that and not listening to me, but that's okay. Number two, it is being made right with God. When you are transformed, you are brought from the death to life. You are brought from being dead to being alive. The air has changed. Think about how good that feels with a human person. Stand up, dear. I'm going to put you on the spot. But I love this woman, but when we get into a fight, we go at it. And then when the fight stops and that tension is in the air, there's nothing worse. And when it's relieved, there's nothing better. Now, that's a human how much better would it be for that tension between you and God to be relieved? For that exchange to happen? Like seriously, when the fight's over and you're like, is it really over? Yes, for real. And I'm like, do you love me? Yes, I love you. You know, you got those few things, your chest in the water, you're like putting your foot in, you're like, all right. I know, no, still a little cold. Boy. Let it warm up a little bit. And finally, when, when it's there and it's back to normal, it feels great. But what would it feel like if that happened with you and God? If you were reconciled, your soul would love it. Your spirit would love it. Some of you guys have something blocking you, and God does not want that. He wants to transform you. The next thing is actually, it is transformative. And the reason it is transformative is, is when you're reconciled and when you make that exchange, God takes all of your sin. He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become righteousness. God transforms you. You turn into something different. Has that happened in your life? Are you living a transformed life? Are you different? I don't know, and I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm imploring you on the behalf of Christ. Like, are you a new creation? 
So you can know the difference between somebody who believes it and somebody who doesn't. It's like the guy who owns work boots and the guy whose hands are cut up from working all day. There's a difference. It's the difference between the the seven-foot guy from Lithuania that gets drafted because he's just tall and he might be slow and have awkward arms and the 5'10 basketball player who lives, eats, and breathes it and made it to the NBA. That That guy's different. There's something different about him. Is there something different about you? Do you live, eat, and breathe Jesus? Have you been transformed? Has that creative power come in? And the last thing, it's exchanging your life for his. Have you exchanged your life for his? There's nothing better. Those two stupid dogs up on the screen, I love dogs. They're just changing. That's what God wants to do. The thing is, God gets the bad end of the deal. He gets your sin. That's a bad deal, God. He gets your pain. He gets your death. You get a good end of the deal. Why fight it? Why do we fight it? Why do we hold on to our life that's broken and that's painful and that, that, that is not new? Why do we hold on to our life and refuse what God wants us to do? I don't know. I do it too sometimes. But I'm telling you, I've been praying for you this week. I've been praying for you this morning. And I believe that God wants to bring some power into some people's lives. And he wants you to know what it is to be born again. He wants you to know that it is being something. He wants to make you something different. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. But the thing is, it has to be done by God. You can't think your way into it. You can't study your way into it. You can't work your way into it. You can only receive what God has done. And I'm not saying knowing stuff is bad, because trust me, I wouldn't have gone to school for as long as I did if it wasn't important. And I'm not saying doing stuff is bad, but I'm saying all that stuff pales in comparison to the power of God in your life, to being reconciled to Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me right now? I don't know the state of your soul. I don't know the state of your life. But I do know something. As I've been praying for you, I just, I know there's people that you came in dry. God wants to take that dryness and give you life. There's people that you came in discouraged. God wants to take your discouragement and encourage you. There's people that you came in with a hidden sin. And I'm not pointing fingers. I'm not trying to guilt you into anything. But if you have a hidden sin in your life, Christ died a very public death. He took your shame. He can forgive you. He can release you. Like he wants to. That thing that's eating away at you. There's some of you, you've you just been stuck in your life. You've been like sitting in traffic. And Jesus is saying, follow me. Don't sit there with everybody else. Follow me into something new, into a new life filled with power. Do you know what would happen if everyone in this church had God's creative power overflowing their lives? It would be amazing. 
Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. God wants to make you new. This isn't about guilt or shame. This is an opportunity. But if you need prayer today, in fact, some of you need prayer, please come up here to our prayer teams. I'm going to invite our prayer teams to come up right now. Please come and receive what God wants to do. Just let let somebody pray for you. Some of you have been challenged. Everybody stand with me right now. We're going to sing a song about the greatness of God. And if at any point, if you feel led to get prayer, I challenge you, come up and get prayer. Let God touch your life. Let God change you. There's no shame. Someone just needs to take the first step. Hey guys, I'm Bob. <laughs> <laughs>